Welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is the founder and CEO of a powerhouse in audiobook production, John Marshall Media. John Marshall Cheery, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Well, thanks very much. And anytime you introduce me and my company like that, I'm happy to come back. That, that <laughs> well, well that's good. Any guest in, at the speakeasy is always welcome to come back for another drink at some later date. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs> sure. So, uh, so yeah, I, I know that... Uh, John Marshall Media is uh, big in audiobook production. I know that you are very busy there, so I really appreciate your time coming in tonight. Um, what are oh, you drinking God. tonight, John? Well, I am drinking a Diet Coke, sir. I, uh, I uh, in the afternoon, three o'clock here, uh, Eastern time, and uh, getting that little, uh, you know, after lunch kind of energy drag here. So, uh, got rocking, it. Rocking the Diet Coke cocktail might not be the best choice in that kind of a situation if you've still got more work to do. Yeah, well, there are very few occasions where a cocktail is not a great choice, but in this <laughs> situation, I guess I'll... Yeah. The, the, the afternoon at work might be one of those, depending on your job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want John Marshall Media to continue to be a powerhouse, so I shan't begin drinking in the afternoon. Uh, good, good choice, good choice. Well, here, even though it, I am three hours earlier, having a cocktail in the audiobook speakeasy is uh, kind of what we do here, and even though it doesn't happen too often at this hour... Uh, I figure, you know, I got to go with it. So today I'm, I'm joining you in a bubbly drink today. I'm having a, uh, a gin Ricky. Uh, a gin yep. Gin Ricky, one of the classics, uh, gin and soda, juice of half a lime and, uh, fill up the glass with ice and you're good to go. So I find it a good refreshing mid afternoon drink and I'm not even in mid afternoon yet. So, uh, I'm having one now. I might just have another one later when it is mid afternoon. Yeah. Maybe I'll, you know, I do love my gin martinis and, but you know, they do, you know, they are a little strong sometimes. So maybe I haven't done a gin Ricky. I'm actually, I'm making a note, yeah. making a note about things to drink in the future. So I, I find it a good summer refreshing drink because it's got the soda water. It doesn't have any added sugar. Uh, it's just kind of a refreshing pick-me-up kind of drink. Uh, it and, sounds like a more awesome gimlet to me. Well, yeah, I wouldn't say more awesome because a gimlet is one of my favorites right up there with martinis. Um, but uh, but it is it is really good. Um, and depending on the kind of gin, today I'm using Tanqueray Rangpur, which is a uh, kind of citrus uh, forward. I know gin. it. Yep, I know it. Yep. So, uh, well, so that's good. So even though you're not having a drink right now, we can spend just a minute and talk since a martini is one of your favorites. What uh, What type of martini do you normally go for? Well, this is like discussing religion and politics. Right? <laughs> so, you know, I hope we don't get into an argument about this, right? Nope. But so, so <laughs> you are a gin. I see that you drink gins. Um, I, I am do. a gin martini drinker, which is to say a martini drinker. Anyone who's I, drinking a vodka martini is not drinking a martini. I, I agree. That is one of those statements that I'm very careful about making because some people do get a little offended at that. Uh, and I usually make the statement kind of jokingly, uh, if you're drinking a martini, there is no vodka in your glass. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> I, will make, I will make an exception for a Vesper. The, a Vesper oh, yes. Can, sure. You know, yeah. which, which for those of the uninitiated, that's the James Bond like uh, you know thing where I guess it's like what, what a third vodka and two-thirds gin. Is that right? Something like that. 
No, it's not quite that much. I I think that technically it's uh it is if I remember correctly uh six parts oh geez now I'm gonna forget. I think it's uh six parts gin, two parts vodka, one part Lillet. Uh and so in a Vesper, do you actually use Lillet Blanc or do you use something else in its place? I don't really do a a, a Vesper and embarrassingly the Vespers only happen when we're at the bottom of the gin bottle. Oh, and, got and it. And then we look left and look right, and we're like, "Oh, look at that vodka! That'll that'll pop off." <laughs> That's great. I uh, <laughs> I tend to make my vespers with cocky americano, which I understand is closer to the original Lillet recipe. But in any case, uh, what kind of gin do you normally go for? Well, it, I mean, that's not a normally kind of thing, right? I mean, I, 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 you know, summer for me is Hendrix if the place that I'm drinking at is competent enough to serve the Hendrix with a, uh, a cucumber. Ah, right. Because I don't know if you're familiar with Hendrix, but it is a cucumber-infused um, gin. I am familiar with Hendrix. I have to say I am not a big Hendrix fan, but I actually did just get another Hendrix Mini because so many people recently have mentioned it that I feel like I need to give it another chance because uh, the yeah. last time I had a bottle, I just didn't love it. I actually do have a bottle of Hendrix right now, a full-size bottle, but it's one of the new ones. It's the uh, Hendrix Orbium. Have you tried that? They didn't even know it existed. Yeah, so stuff right and right and left here today. Isn't so, it? <laughs> so they've got a couple of new offerings: the uh, the Orbium, and then I think that the other one is called the Midsummer Solstice, if I remember correctly. I haven't tried that one <laughs> yet, but the Orbium is really interesting. It's actually got some uh, quinine in it, and so it's it's like you're halfway oh, to a gin and tonic without yeah. <laughs> actually adding any tonic. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's interesting. I have not checked that out. I would definitely like to check that out. Now, see, interesting, you mentioned gin and tonics because until several months ago i gin and tonics i would i would just throw that out also um but me and uh and my associate here robin um had just took a did a visit to some of our clients in the uk and um we learned from one of our clients that no 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 no, no. here we have really great tonics and it was it was called like a rain rain uh shoot fever tree fever tree fever tree is the Fever tree is the best tonic out there. Holy moly. So, cause I used to, I used to, you know, just when I'm not drinking a martini, which is not always a smart thing to do. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I would order a gin and soda because the, whatever we, we normally get in bars here at the States, the, the, the quinine is like just over the top. And so when we were ordering the fever trees over there with, oh, with all those wonderful little, um, um, local gins that they had, I just couldn't believe it. It was, it was incredible. Totally it is. It, it's great. They've got several different varieties and they're all good. I think that all of them are a little bit less sweet than the standard cheap tonics that you get over here. Yeah, a little less sweet and less quinine, which is funny. Yeah, I'm not really, I, I'm not an expert in it, but I was just completely like changed my mind. Completely yeah, awesome. I, I completely agree. I was never a big fan mm-hmm. of gin and tonic, but now, even though I still don't drink them all that often, um, you, you you get the right gin with the right tonic, it, it's a it's a winner. <laughs> here, 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 here. So anyway, all right. So we will leave the, the gin talk there, but clearly there's more that we could talk about at a later date. In any case, <laughs> thanks for coming in, John. Really appreciate your time. Cheers. That's awesome. Cheers. I'm like, was a can going to? that's all right i got the glassware (laughs) awesome so john i know that you're uh, you're out on the east coast at this point where are you from originally i'm from southwest missouri oh yeah quite a ways from the east coast it is it is quite a ways from from the the east coast i uh yeah i was born in a little town that no one would have heard of called uh neosho missouri um, you know, spent a wonderful, uh, place to grow up. And for me, it was, it was not a place that I wanted to stay. I had, you know, 
big, big dreams. I was going to be a rock star. I was ah. a drummer. Yeah, as a drummer, you know, growing up in the 80s, you know. Phil Collins. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, in the air tonight. Do, 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 do. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, um, so I was going to be a rock star, you know, and I ended up uh, being fortunate enough to be uh, accepted to the Berklee College of Music in, in Boston. Nice. And so um, I went uh, from being, you know, one of the best drummers in southwest Missouri to being one of the worst drummers at Ber- Berkeley, which was quite a uh, quite a, a kick in the, in the you-know-what. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but after a year, I can't remember, yeah, I, I was able to declare a major in music production and engineering. And that was really nice because, the, you know, I had a natural affinity for recording. And so I, you know, went from being, you know, kind of the bottom of the heap in the, in the drums department into being really the near the top of the heap in the music production in pretty short order. And it's certainly nice to be successful at something. It has a nice, <laughs> a nice. Yeah, yeah that's great. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of that. That was my, uh, you know, my trajectory out of uh, Southwest Missouri. Cool. And so, uh, so you said growing up in the '80s, that was what you wanted to do. So you were at the uh, the school of music there. What late eight, mid late '80s, something like that. Yeah, late. Yeah, I uh, I graduated high school in '89, so I left you know Berkeley around '93. I'm actually one of the few uh, people that actually graduated from Berkeley. It's almost kind of a joke with Ber- Berkeley people. That's like one of the you know, oh Berkeley, awesome. What instrument did you graduate? You know, those are like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. So, so where'd you go from there then? Well, from there, I uh, I came to New York. I was recommended uh, for some some jobs, and actually, I interned in Boston um, at a place called Soundtracks Boston. And Soundtracks also has a studio that's still here um, in in New York. And they said, "Oh yeah, if you intern here for a year, then you'll get it. You know, then we'll give you a, an assistant engineer gig." And I remember, you know, I was like, "Oh, awesome!" And and you know, so I come down. I remember walking into Soundtracks New York, and they were like. What the hell are you? <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, you know, this is a, you know pre pre email days and all that sort of stuff, and so yeah, so I, you know, basically they were like, well, if you want, you know, you can intern here and you know sweep the floors. And I was like, dude, you know, something about eating and paying rent that I've heard about, and you yeah. know, so I remember, I remember uh, walking out of a uh, soundtracks uh, here in New York. I know I know where it is. I've I've been there. I'm kind of chummy with the owner now, ironically, but I remember walking out of there with that feeling, you know, in the movies where they do that zoom in while panning out effect where it looks like they're like, you know, getting all dizzy. And I was like, Oh, sure. Yeah. Very Hitchcockian. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, Oh my God, (laughs) I'm screwed. So, uh, but I kind of, I kind of powered my way through it and I I bullied my way into some studios and got them to hire me um, as an assistant engineer. And that was sort of, that was kind of, you know, my very formative years in the, in the, in, in hip hop, that was like the, the crazy thing was that like, so I'm a, I'm an 80s boy from Missouri, weaned on, you know, Bon Jovi and the Scorpions and Metallica, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then all of a sudden I'm working with Tupac Shakur like, <laughs> in New York. And I'm like, um, so anyway, but yeah, no, I was quite a, uh, I, I was quite green. Um, and so, uh, so my progression in the audiobooks, right, was... I just had to get out of that. I remember at one point, like there was a shooting in the studio. Oh my God. Um, there was, so what, yeah. So in the initial days then, was it all music? Well, yeah. I mean, that was kind of what I knew. I guess, I guess at that point I had decided that I was going to be a record producer. Right. So I totally like, I was playing in a band and, and whatever else, or a few, actually a few bands when I was here in New York I was playing drums, but, but it was definitely, I was making my living in, 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 uh, as meager as it was, you know, uh, doing assisting engineering gigs, but I also, 
knew I was one of the first people um, to learn Pro Tools, like period, first people to learn it. Um, and so I would do some digital edit editing such as existed back then. Um, well, that's a great skill to have. It was, yeah. Well, back then when nobody knew it, like I remember yeah. when I went to Unique Recording, which at the time was one of the biggest hip hop studios. They had like four or maybe five studios. And I, you know, told the manager I knew Pro Tools. He was like, you do? Because yeah, they had it sitting back there and nobody really knew how to use it. And so all of a sudden, you know, I was like, I was like the Pro Tools operator, you know. All of a sudden you're like three rungs up the ladder. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. No, it was a big deal. But I just, I got tired of like, you know, it was terrible. I remember, you know, having to chase people down the elevator, like, you know, guys like three times as big as me down the elevator trying to get paid. And, and I remember the last time I did it, like this guy was a huge guy. And, and I was like, I don't know, I was just stupid. And I was like, dude, you got to freaking pay me or whatever. I don't know what. And, <laughs> and then he paid me and then he, and then he, le he, he left and I thought, oh my God, this is, these guys carry guns. This is not good. And so, yeah. So I ended up getting the job. Uh, oh, so then, yeah, back this is, again, this is pre-internet, really. And, you know, so I was looking through the Village Voice, you know, looking, or the New York Times or whatever it was. I'm looking, this is classified ad days. I remember always looking, you know, you go from, it was, I can't remember what was before it, but I was always looking for audio engineer. Mm -hmm. You would always go from whatever was before that to auto mechanic. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> so I remember one point seeing audio engineer and I almost spit out my Cheerios and... <laughs> So I had to go, you know, to to like a full a fax place to fax over my resume, and they called me back, and and I ended up getting this gig, um, which was really cool, doing commercials for in-store radio. And so I met a woman. Uh, so like true audiobook, you know, insiders will know of uh, Paula Parker. Paula was one of our uh, one of the voice actors that we used at at this place. And um, so at some point, you know, she was like, "Hey, John, you know, my husband um, does books on tape." as they were called at the time. Mm -hmm. And also he was doing some educational work as well. He's having a hard time finding reliable audio guys, you know, freelance. I was like, ah, that's cool. You know, and then the, stu the studio I worked at uh, would let me use their equipment in the evenings. And so I met this guy. Well, this guy was Paul Rubin. And Paul Rubin, uh, many, again, audiobook insiders will know, he was one of the, the, well, I call him one of the godfathers of one of the kind of the, really the first or maybe the second wave of books on tape as they were back then. Sure. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like the early nineties. And so, um, so I, you know, I got along really well with, with Paul. I, I mean, the reason why I get along well with, with people professionally is because I always do exactly what I'm going to say when I say I'm going to do it. And mm -hmm. it's usually better than I said it was going to be. And it's usually a day before. And that's kind of always been my, you know, that's how our, our company has, you know, become the powerhouse, as you like to say that it is. But that's, you know, doing those things, right, tends to make one pretty successful. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those basics that I think a lot of people forget is that just acting professionally, and of course, you know, different people have different definitions for that, but doing things, uh, you know, what you just said, doing things that you say you're going to do, doing them on time or early, uh, it's, it's a huge plus. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, you know, it, it, there was no, ex, no expense or whatever that I could spare. I mean, there was, you know, 24 hour working periods was not unusual for me. I was in my 20s, you know, you could do that kind of stuff. Right. Um, you know, uh, it, I would do that stuff. I would hire friends to help me out, right? Because I, of course, you know, graduated Berkeley, all these audio guys, and hired friends to help me out, right? And then that was, that was kind of interesting. I was like, oh, wait a minute. So, so, you know, the problem with being a freelancer, right, is that you do a job and then like if you don't have one after it, you, you may never work again, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and then you have all that dead time and then maybe you'll get another gig. But so I just kept like taking jobs. Like it would be mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I can do it. And then hang up the phone and go like, oh, dude. But how much do I have home. to learn now? <laughs> well, but, 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 but I mean, I'm, I don't, I'll have to stay up all night to do this. Well, maybe I can hire 
hire Zeke or maybe I can hire, you know, Tom to do it. Oh, that's cool. Well, you know, end up losing money on it, but whatever. I delivered it. Mm -hmm. And I did three jobs at once just now. Oh shoot. It, you know, Tim's job turned in, turned in all screwed up. What's quality control? Should I have listened to it first? You know, this is like kind of, this is, uh, you know, the, 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 the John Marshall school of approximate business was kind of mm-hmm. what, you know, I'm taking you through here. And so I mean to learn these processes and then, re- and then understanding the wisdom of Henry Ford, right? How Henry Ford divided the, the manufacturing process up into smaller bits, right? So, you know, his, his, uh, you know, an innovation in manufacturing was that it's not one person building the whole car. It's one dude putting the hood on. A thousand times, you know, right? right? On a they thousand cars, pretty and, damn good at it. Exactly, and it just bam, 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 bam. And so I started realizing, oh well, you know, what if I have one this person do one this one phase of it, and then move that over to another person, and then how do we train that? How do we quality control that? And so all of a sudden, I became kind of like, you know, good at at coming up with systems, coming up with quality control, or you know, to make sure those systems are working properly. Uh, you know, having checklists to make sure that everything glues together when we get there. And so this is, you know, I was, I was slowly building a manufacturing process, essentially, so that I could take a vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, well, that sounds like a good plan in manufacturing as well as audio then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it really, it really worked well. And, um, but you know, there were like a lot of like, kind of like, you know, innovations that we, we had, had made sort of, you know, in, in a way that still are really unique to us. Like I then figured out that, so then like, you know, we, we, I would work more and more with Paul and then I had, you know, more and more people working for me. And then I would work with other producers at the time. And then, you know, sometimes directly with the, the, the uh, publishers and we were renting, you know, at a studio, but I would you know, for a little while. And, and then, and then that was like kind of, now we're thinking like into like 2000 and right around 2000 is when Audible started. Right. Mm, and, we, right. and so we, we did some of the very, very, very first books for Audible. And I remember talking to, uh, yeah, his last name's Katz. I met him a couple of times. Uh, I don't know his name, I don't know, Bill, whoever his name is, Bill Katz. Um, it's not his name, but, uh, Mr. Mr. Katz, um, Andrew, Andrew, I'm thinking Andrew. Yes. I don't remember. Um, so Mr. Katz, I remember talking to him a few times and this one book we'd done for him was the unauthorized biography of, uh, Steve jobs. And I remember talking to him and he's like, oh, he was joking with me and it was like, Oh my gosh, it was our biz- biggest success yet. There was almost like a hundred downloads you know, <laughs> early, early days. You That's know? great. Very funny. That was back when they were dialing up. We were all dialing up on our modems. You know, sure, yeah. Different, different metrics for different times. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> how I would have taken back then. So anyway, but but then the deadline started getting more and more and more compressed, right? So so it became like a 10-hour book would now all of a sudden, well, there were probably six-hour books back then. They had to fit on cassettes mostly. But th- it would now be due like faster than the runtime of the title or, or unrealistic. But yet most of the publishers, of course, had a requirement that one person only one person could edit it, for instance. And of course, mm. well, that's, that's interesting. That was a requirement of of the publisher. The big publishers have a lot of kind of you know requirements like that. A lot of those have kind of gone the way of the uh, you know gone, gone away, but you know re- them realizing that they couldn't really really manage their vendors like they thought they could, right? right. And, and, and and trying to manage the vendors very oftentimes shot them in the foot, like this, you know. So they would like say, oh, you know, I remember talking with one of my clients back then, and it all of a sudden hit him like, wait a minute, you did the six hour book and like two days, but it's all, you know, or whatever it was. But he's mm-hmm. like, how did you? And I was like, yeah, I got two guys working on it. And he was like, you can't. It's like, I've been doing that for over a year and it's been passing all your quality control. 
Right. So what's the problem? So what? So now the see the, the problem with that is that if you have two different audio editors editing something, it can sound stylistically different because sure. some audio editor will take out more breaths. Maybe they'll you know, interpret things a little bit differently, interpret the pacing a little differently. So that's one of the things that I had to be very careful to make sure that we were all editing things the same. Right. So, you know, so, so, you know, if I, if I edit the first half and then you edit the second half of the book and all of a sudden it just sounds different, it doesn't work. I get it. So we have implemented all kinds of like things like what we call even now listen to front. So if I edit the first, you know, uh, part of the book, you're going to edit the second part of the book. I would edit like the first page you would then listen to my edit of the first page. You then edit the first part of your little bit, then listen to mine, listen to yours. How's oh, that's oh. great. So, so now yeah. you've got a way that you can compare and yeah. make sure that the, yeah. the way that you're working is the same as the way that somebody else Correct. works. Correct. That's so great. Then you could, so then you could say like, oh yeah, I see John was taking out a little more of the breaths than I was. Let me go back, trim that up. And then once you've got that going, then you can kind of rock. And then it goes through a, a quality control step, right? And then, now we're getting into the modern, like we still operate to this day, you know, then it goes to this quality control and the quality control has to be a separate person than the editor or editors in this case. Right. For the um, same reason that we often hear online that you shouldn't proof your own work. You've got to have correct. somebody else doing the work because if you made the mistake the first time, you're going to make it again. You're going to make the mistake again. If you were blind to it the first time, what's suddenly going to make you aware of it, right? right. And that it's also a way for us to make sure that our personnel are performing to standard too. If, you, if you're QC and if, you know, if Rich, I hire you as an editor and a QC person, how am I going to know how you're doing? You know, mm -hmm, right. <laughs> if you need to go to an editor. So now if I've got like the QC report comes back and it's like, good Lord, what is, what is Rich doing there? <laughs> right. not editing very well at all. <laughs> that kind of keeps the, uh, yeah, the system. Um, maybe he should just yeah. stick to narrating. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. 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 That would, no, 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 see, see, I'm trying to stay in business. You see, <laughs> not, not, go out. Yeah. I, well, I know that, my side of the glass. Well, that's great. So you started in audiobooks, I think, like you were, like you were saying, the second wave. I mean, I know that audiobooks have been available in various forms and for various reasons for like, I don't know, 50 or 60 years now, but they really were not uh, a big deal up until right about that time. I think it was the, the mid to late nineties. Yeah, that's right. Well, again, I mean, so, you know, before that they were like a little bit on LP, a little bit, that was really mm -hmm. when you're going way back, but they were, yeah. you know, books on tape, they were on cassette and, and it was a market. It was a market. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, I cannot remember the numbers at all, you know, but then audible came out, but still, I mean, that was like, you know, again, they were downloading on, you know, on, uh, you know, on, on, 56 on, K modems. Yeah. Correct. Something very slow. So it was really with, you know, once the, you know, the, the, once download speeds became real, but really once, once you were able to download it on your mobile, like mm -hmm. bam, right. That's when, I mean, you know, everyone knows this, this is a little, you know, kind of you know, boring. We know this, but it's, but it's, that's why it's just blown up so much. So yeah, so right. I was doing them back when we used to put in tags to say, you know, cassette one, side one. Right. You know? Right. I remember side that. Side one. <laughs> I, I, I have listened to books on tape <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> way, exactly. way back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, well that's good. So you've, you've grown up with the industry then in the, in the time that it has just taken off. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's really fun. I mean, we used to be like the guys that nobody paid attention to audiobooks would be like, what, what do you guys? Oh yeah, we do have an audiobook division, right? Yeah. I think I heard of that. You know, <laughs> but now it's like, you know, it's a completely different animal. Like now, you know, I just walked the floor at book expo you know, and, and like, Hey, you know, I do audio books and you know, the years before I'd do it and they just like kick me out. And now they're like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, right. we'll talk about that. It's, it's totally changed. It's totally changed. So how many books do you do at this point? I mean, well, actually before, before that, 
are you only doing audiobooks at this point or no, do you still no, record music or podcasts or what, <laughs> well, what, what all do you work on? Okay. So we do uh, audiobooks is the majority of our business. Um, but a big part of our business, probably me around a third is um, audio for educational publishers. And that we've been doing since back then as well. Um, what, what is that like? So it's mostly um, how to speak English, like English is the second language. So, oh. you know, a lot of the things like will be schools, like they'll go into schools in Latin America or in China or, or wherever, or in Europe. Right. I'm not in Europe so much that they usually in Europe, they teach British English typically. But so it's usually the Latin American market and the Asian market that learns that learns American English. And so, yeah, we work, you know, with, uh, you know, Pearson and, and uh, Macmillan Education, which is a totally separate company than Macmillan, um, you know, uh, trade trade books. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's a very big uh, part of our of our business. And it always has. And it's a great diversification um, for us. Um, podcasts, we've been entering into very hesitantly. Um, because, you know, at this point with the company, the size that we are, uh, you know, just, just, you know, just like selling a a few hours of extra studio time doesn't really make sense. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so now, you know, I have a a strategy and marketing person. Um, and so now what we're doing is, um, we're basically coming up, we're helping brands, you know, create something that works for their strategy in order to communicate their brand out in, in the world with podcasts. Yeah. So we've we've had a big success with that. I, I can't say what it is. The contract hasn't been signed, but it should be signed tomorrow, actually, for um, for really really big podcasts that we uh, co-created um, with with uh, two major brands we brought together for this. Um, and there's going to be a smart speaker component of that. We're working on the smart speaker stuff. So we're definitely like having a great time messing around with smart speakers and, and, and podcasts and, and seeing that's great. That. So, so keeping current with the technologies out there so that, uh, you know, whatever comes along, you'll be well prepared. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just really, frankly, a hell of a lot of fun, Rich. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. So it's not just a matter of doing what you're familiar with. It's also yeah. a lot of fun. That's right. That's right. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, but you know, what it is a lot too is, you know, um, I, I guess I have a great team. I mean, you know, Kevin, Feku has been working with me for, God, it might be 20 years now. He runs my studio and post-production services here and runs it so well that, you know, a lot of times I come in and be like, oh, Kevin, what's going on? And he's like, John, you know, go away. We're, we gotta, <laughs> we, we're, you're messing things up. Like, oh, you know, how, how high up the corporate ladder do I have to go to get respected? But, you know, and then, <laughs> and then I've got, you know, Robin Lai, who, who's this great, great guy I've been working with for, for a little over 10 years. And he runs my education department. He just runs it, you know, so these guys do a great job and that lets me kind of play, you know, I've dabbled in, in eBooks, um, uh, in a, in a venture, uh, several years ago. Um, you know, I've been building out our database and trying different things. And so I'm real excited about the podcasting and the smart speakers right now. Well, that's, that's cool. But still the majority of your business is audiobooks at this point. Absolutely. Yep. hundred percent. So do you have any kind of a specialty or a niche or do you really do audiobook production for pretty much everything? Well, we do have a niche and really our niche are, you know, bigger publishers. So it's very hard for us to, um, to justify, unfortunately, working with, with smaller publishers. Um, you know, we've, we've got, you know, Random House and HarperCollins and Macmillan and, you know, a whole, whole bunch of these guys who are just pumping through like a lot of books and we appreciate, we love you guys. You know, we appreciate that so much. So we really stay focused on, on those sorts of things. But then, but we're now and now, we're now more and more discovering, 
you know, that smaller publishers are now working at a volume that justifies our level of service. Because we have a level of service that's quite different than most, um, you know, than most uh, uh, production houses. And it's not, and the level of service that we, that we produce is not really demanded by most customers and therefore most customers choose not to afford it. Right. So right. Whereas the bigger publishers, that is something that they're very interested in. Correct. I mean, there's, you know, when I'm trying to like, you, you know, as a business owner, one of the things that you need to be very cognizant of is what you do well and therefore who is your customer, right? Our customers have more money than time, right? So meaning that when they send it to us, they need it done, done right the first time and with a minimal amount of handholding, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and that takes some, some professionalism and some expertise on, you know, and, and it, it costs a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whereas like an independent author, they have more time than they have money. And so they want, you know, they're always like asking a lot of questions and they've got this and they've got that and they got this. And then we just, you know, for us to afford to do that just doesn't end up being competitive. And so yeah. they'll end up going, you know, uh, God forbid the ACX route or, or, you know, or sometimes you can just go directly to, to a narrator and that ends up being a much better fit. I find for most, I mean, there are some, you know, authors who are, you know, successful business people in their own right. And, and those will be a good fit for us. But again, you know, when, when, when customers start asking us, you know, oh, price, 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 price. I'm like, you know what? Not the right fit. Maybe, you know, right. but if it's like, well, we got a lot of books. We didn't done right the first time. It's like, yep, you're a customer. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you work for a lot of the big, uh, pub, or most of the big publishers. Uh, right. Is there, is there any kind of a, a niche from those publishers where they uh, go to you more for nonfiction or romance, or is it pretty much whatever they have you're going to work on? It's, it's, it's whatever they have. I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's no, there's, I found no real difference in producing the different types of books, like fiction, nonfiction, except for just the narrator. Mm-hmm. That's the only, that's the only difference. And, you know, and as we've noted before, I've been doing this since the nineties. So I know, you know, I slash we know every narrator, you know, um, so, um, so we can always like, if we read a script, we pretty much got an idea like, oh, yeah, 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 well, I, this is who I want to have read it. Um, but also too, more and more, the, the bigger publishers um, tend to cast a lot of the books themselves. So they'll, t- you know, very oftentimes they'll say, hey, hey, guys, here's the here's a book and I'd like this person to read it. And we're like, okay, cool. You know, sometimes we may say, hey, you know what, by the way, someone else might be good for this too or this person is really busy and when we'll make other you know it's a collaborative process there Mm -hmm. but but very very often it comes to us with a narrator already in mind so casting was actually one of my next questions because i wasn't sure whether you did any casting or whether you did all casting and it sounds like it's kind of a mix it's a little bit of a mix i would you know if i were to you know it's a majority uh, or the minority of the ones that we cast you know maybe i don't know why 30% 30% of them, but some of it's a little bit of both, like how they come with, like I just described, they come mm-hmm. with somebody, but that person's not available or, or we have a great relationship with our publisher. So we can also say, yeah, this person's good, but wow, you got to hear this guy. You know, we'll do that a little bit, you know? So if you do the casting, if, if somebody comes to you and says, do the casting, uh, how does that start? Is it basically just, here's a manuscript. We need an audio book. Here you go, John. And, and then you say, okay, we take it from step one, cast mm-hmm. it, figure out what to do and, and do all the rest of it. That can happen. That can absolutely happen. We, that happens a fair bit, you know. Uh, yeah, they'll say, you have no idea. And so we'll, we'll scan through it. And you do your normal, like, you know, male, male, female, age, you know. And then you kind of, okay, is there a you know, feel or an accent or whatever it is? And you kind of slowly kind of 
wind down, you wind mm-hmm. your way down to, uh, to, to, wow, you know, okay, now we're kind of in, in the, in the realm of where we want it. And, you know, if we're, if we're totally in charge of doing the casting, um, we really almost always ask for an audition sample, right? Cause, um, it's hard, you know, you know, all you, all you fine actors, you'll have demos, but no matter what your demo just ain't the right feel for this book. You know what I mean? You just sure. Never, absolutely. Yeah. You know? And so you know, it's very, and I, and I know that, you know, you guys are all used to doing samples and, you know, it's pretty quick and easy nowadays. And so, so we'll vary off. Cause, and so instead of saying, Hey, I want Rich to read this. And then, but then they listened to your sample. And I was like, well, it's not quite what I was hearing. It's like, yeah, I know because <laughs> he has the range though. So you gotta, you know, so instead of like putting all of that, in, you know, into play, you just, that way we, uh, we have a database where we can upload, um, um, uh, auditions directly to it. We can supply it. As a, as a page, you know, through, you know, we can, we deliver the URL, the, the publisher can see it, the publisher can share it with their authors or other stakeholders, um, all in a neat little package. It looks all professional. Oh, that's great. So when you're doing the casting, uh, how often do you actually make the final call and say, this is the person who's going to narrate it. And how often is it a matter of you putting together? Well, here are our top five, go back to the, well, we never make the final call. We don't you never publish. do. Okay. So that no, always we, goes back to the, 100%. back to the publisher. Okay. We, we, right. 100%. we never make that. That would essentially make us the publisher. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, on the education side, we do that a lot. Right. We do that like a ton because it's just a different animal, but on the audiobook side, uh, no, we will say these are the three people we're thinking now it might be like, you know, we know damn well they're going to pick Rich. There's no way they're picking these other people, but <laughs> mm-hmm. right. But 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 yeah. But we will always submit, and especially now, you know, this is important. An important thing to note for uh, narrators or just people in the industry generally is is that you know the authors have more and more and more say in this. And I've been, I've been hearing that from from oh, yeah. uh, the the publishers as well. In yeah. the oh yeah, we actually like working with the authors, and I think that you know, ten twenty years ago, I'm pretty sure I would not have heard it that often. <laughs> Well, yeah. It, see, I mean, everything's easier now, right? So there's a, there's a lot of reasons why that is. At first, I was, it's just easier to send them a sample and they can reply the next day and say, yeah, we're good to go. You know, back mm-hmm. in the day, everything was slower. You know, it's like we were talking about the maturation of the internet. Like that stuff all is coinciding with what we're talking about, right? Right. In the old days, you know, I don't think a lot of authors were even sure there was an audiobook, um, right? They, they, and the audiobook rights might get sold completely independently, perhaps a lot of times without the author even being aware they existed. I know that that happened several times. So I, I've had back in the old days, phone calls being like, well, you guys produced my audio book. I didn't even know there was it. I was like, don't look at yep. me, dude. You got to talk to, you got to talk to the publisher. I know that right? still happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes, it can. And they're very careful with that. But now, you know, more with the big publishers, the audiobook rights, you know, I was going to say always, but, but that, that their goal, the publisher, big publishers is the goal is to always have the audiobook rights stay with, the publishing house, mm-hmm. right? That's, they really want to be doing everything. And, you know, this, the reason, one of the reasons why is, you know, one, one of the cautionary tales that I've heard a lot of my publishing clients like talk about is the, they used Harry Potter as a, as a great example of, of things that can kind of go a little bit wrong. Right. And we, we happened to end up, we, we did the, the last book in the series that won, won a Grammy, which is wonderful fun to work on, but it's a very interesting thing because so Harry Potter with the books, were with Scholastic. The, I guess JK held on to the audiobook rights. Again, it was probably an accident. They probably bought, you know, Scholastic probably bought the book and then was like, and they were off. And then, oh, I don't know. She probably figured out she had, you know, um, audiobook rights and she sold them to Random House. So what happened is, is Scholastic can rightly claim, wait a minute, 
you know, we, we're the one who made this book famous. Mm-hmm. We're, you know, not that we're going to cry for Scholastic. They made a lot of money on this. But, you know, there's an argument to say, well, we should also reap the rewards from the audio rights as well. Mm-hmm. And then it got made into a movie. Right. And so that's now more and more what's happening is that's why the publishers now are saying, no, 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 we want it all. You know, that's mm-hmm. they may not get it, but that's the goal. Right. So certainly with the audiobooks, they're more like, yeah, we got to have that. It's a big profit center nowadays. And yeah. then they'll want to talk more and more about retaining all the rights. Yeah. Things have definitely changed. They definitely have. Definitely all right. Have. So, so you take part in the casting. So walk me through the rest of a production. So uh, random house or somebody comes to you and says, here, we've got this book, go ahead and start the casting. So you put together, you go, oh, I know who's going to be good for this. His name's Rich <laughs> Miller or whoever it happens to be. And uh, <laughs> you, <always> you, <laughs> you, you put together a list and you take it to the publisher and you say, okay, here's, here's who we think would be good for this. And they have the final say. And then you're, uh, you're off and running. And so what's the, what do you do at that point? Well, you know, there's a little bit of coordination, obviously, involved in that, right? That's part of the pre-production step, um, and that was really important. So then, you know, of course, of course, you got cast on this book, right? So, 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 Rich, so we've got to reach out to you. Oh, hey, you know, they'd like you to do this. When is your next available? You know, available. When, when are you available next? And uh, you know, we've got to be careful with those, right? Because mm-hmm. if, if you're like, yeah, dude, <laughs> talk to me in 2020, then right. that's going to be a problem, right? So right. you know. So we got to work through through all that and work backwards. And I'll shoot it's due on the whatever it's due on the first. So we got to work back, you know, on that. So there's all that sort of planning. So then, you know, then we have have you recorded. Now, in your case, you know, you you'd be uh, working out of your home studio. Um, we and we we do a lot of our productions. We um, in home studios. We have we have six recording studios here in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, but we also work with a lot of home studio uh, talent as well. And uh, so in, the, in those cases, you know, we would, in your, your case, we coordinate with you, get it all done. You deliver the final files back to us. We get it in quality control it, right? But we then, uh, you know, get back to you. And uh, pardon me, the Diet Coke's coming back to me. Um, <laughs> that's, and, uh, <laughs> that's what having drinks with somebody is all about. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it was, what was that, you know, all the jokes, like whenever, whenever you record an audio book with somebody, which is kind of similar here, you get really intimate with their digestive tract. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> I, could, I could write a book on that. Yeah. Well, then I'd I narrate could. it. Um, yeah, so, there, there you so, so you coordinate and you get all the files mm-hmm. and then so we files, we do the edit, we do the QC, right. You know, so then we realize, Hey Rich, you know, you, <clears throat> every time you said data is supposed to be data for some reason, the publisher thinks data is the only way it should be said. And so you got to go back and record all those. And then you said cats at a dog on page 42, right? And so then we get all those, we get those reinserted back into the program, mm-hmm. requality control it and uh, send it out to the publisher. That's, that's essentially the, that. Yeah. Yeah. The, and well, our, our publishing clients have, um, have outside quality control. So, uh, which I think is very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely some lower stakes productions uh, that, our, that our publishing clients do where it won't go to third party, but really most everything goes to a third party, uh, you know, um, quality assurance uh, sure. vendor. And so, yeah, so then there's some back and forth on that and they find a noise on page 42 and then they find, the, you know, whatever it is, you know. And no, so then, that, that does seem like a smart move to me. I mean, I've, I've heard stories of people who have done fairly high level books for, for major publishers saying, uh, you know, when I narrated it, I made mistakes. Uh, 
most of them were caught by the first pass of proofing. Then an editor got in after the proofing was done and found other mistakes and other problems. And then after that, somebody found something on a final quality pass. And so I'm, I'm not at all surprised to hear that the major publishers will take the files that you give them and then send it through their own pass and say, they well, do. we'll just take one extra pass. They do, right? I mean, yeah. see, what's funny about this is, is that it, it's a general agreement in the industry that you will never be perfect. You'll never be word perfect. It will never happen. I mean, you might accidentally get them all right, right? Mm-hmm. But so like one of the examples I give with, with, uh, with, with people who talk about this is, so in Harry Potter, right? Just to show how like mistakes, it's just crazy. Like word changes can get through. So in the studio, they had the engineer, they had the director, they had someone hired to be quote on book unquote, whose sole job was to make sure that all the words were correct. They had the random house executive in the control room. Damn. Right. It's like, a, it's well, like a, like a commercial shoot for a Coca-Cola <laughs> totally, or something. Yeah, totally. So then it went, went to our editors, right? So they'd edit it all up and then I would have somebody QC it. All right. Another QC person. So they'd all, and they're all fine. And they're all, you know, and then they'd have another random house executive listen to it. Uh, that was Orly Moskowitz, if I remember correctly. She'd find mistakes. So we'd go, I think, I think how many people all that it all went through. And yeah. she'd found some mistakes. So then we go re-record those, you know, things, put them all in, go through another quality control step, found some more problems. Then it went to the outside vendor. That outside vendor found word changes. Now we're talking, at this point, you're talking about things where it's like, um, changes, word changes that do not affect the meaning, mm-hmm. right? Because those, yeah. and, and oftentimes, and you know, experienced narrators will know this and experienced producers, a lot of times we make quote mistakes, unquote, that actually kind of flow better or sound a little better from a prose perspective. Right, right? and that's, that's probably yeah. why you made the mistake was because you're reading through it and if you didn't Correct. do it intentionally, your brain is looking at it and going, oh, the right word here would be and and so you yeah. put it in, yeah. And then there's also the whole like you know the way the brain is put together kind of thing. You're taking in the words through your eyes, mm-hmm. hearing them simultaneously through your ears. You're uh, you're not used to taking. Our brains aren't designed to 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 ingest data in that way. To ingest yeah. words in that way, you know. And so and but then you also get that sort of change or that 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 situation that they have the problem they have with um uh the airport screeners right how you're just mm-hmm. looking at that thing all day looking for you know, that one, you know, knife in, 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 in 10,000 bags. And, so, yeah. you know, you, you'll miss it after a while. And that's what we're doing too, right? The average audiobook has about 100,000 words in it. Yeah. We're looking to find 10 words in this book. It might not be right. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. It's I, and I'm, I'm constantly fascinated by the way the brain works and specifically when it kind of short circuits. I'm like the one example that you gave. Oh yeah, Rich. Well, we found that here you said dog instead of cat. And, and those I'm like, oh yeah, those are, those are kind of funny because your brain has seen a word that, that is, you know, understood in a certain context and you've replaced it with a very different word, but that usually has kind of the same function in everyday life. The ones that, that just amaze me are the ones where I will go back through and listen to something that I've recorded and I will find that I said a word that was nothing like the original word and isn't even related in any way, shape or form. <laughs> yeah. Those are it's, what's funny to hear. It, it's got like, like two, 
two letters that are similar and that's like the only way that yeah. they are similar i'm just i'm i'm fascinated by yeah, how that, that exactly you know, what was, was going saying, through I love my you, head and, and, and rich said pop tart and you're like yeah and, you know, and you're like what, seriously like what what <laughs> on know, earth what on earth was going through my head to yeah i don't know this thing at that yeah. moment so anyway i'm i'm pretty fascinated by that stuff <laughs> no it's an interesting again a hundred thousand words in an average book something's gonna happen yeah yeah <laughs> Well, well, that's great. So uh, it sounds like the production is pretty much what I would expect then um, of of the stuff that you go through, clearly with quite a few people involved and uh, a lot of few ears on um, to yep. be able to see what's uh, what's going on. Um, so what about narrators? You said that, you know, a lot of narrators, clearly you've worked with a lot of narrators, audiobooks are your business. Um, are, do you have a specific roster? Are you looking for new talent? Are you just kind of like, yeah, we don't really take submissions. Where are you with narrators mm -hmm. at this point? Well, yeah, we always, I mean, everybody, um, you know, I hope, now, I'm, now I'm hoping your distribution isn't too wide, but we're always looking for narrators and now I'm going to like watch out for my, my email. <laughs> um, but yeah, but absolutely. I mean, new voices are essential. There are still more books being being made every every year right yeah number keeps you going know, on and, yeah 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 and and you know one of the, the one thing that's very important to note for narrators young narrators right is that young narrators are are in demand um young adult is young adult audio is finally catching on it's been an area of of the market that has been having a hard time uh getting traction it's just now getting traction so then and usually you know that'll require younger narrators Mm -hmm. And it's just hard to find them. I don't know why. Well, but one of the reasons is, right, you know, we, we tend to like, you know, find their, I, mean, I, I, I started working with a lot of the narrators I work with, you know, back when I was in my twenties. Right. And they were in their twenties too. Right. So I can't hire those people anymore for those things. And so we were always needing new, right. New younger ones as the right. other ones become more experienced and older. Um, so, you know, absolutely. We're always looking for new voices. And the, but you know, one of the things, you know, it's important for narrators to understand one of the, one of the scary things about casting, an audiobook with a new, uh, a first timer or somebody new is that, yeah, man, it's kind of a commitment. Mm -hmm. And boy, it's embarrassing to have to fire one of you in the Oh, right yeah. Because I've been nobody, in those. Nobody likes that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and it's just like, look, I, you just, you ain't going to get through this, man. You know, I mean, either like you're a good actor, but we don't have the kind of time that it takes to, to, to do that, right? To do, you know, we can't do you know, whatever, we can't take 10 hours for each hour, right? You know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. which is the shame, or it's just like, you just can't do this. And that's, and I've had to do that whew, a bunch of times, you know, yeah. it, it happens. And, and then the problem is that now our schedule is in jeopardy. So it's a big commitment. And that's actually one, you know, for our organization, one of the things that's been really awesome is because we have the educational division that ends up, that ends up, um, being a feeder program for us in a lot of ways because a lot of those books can be a lot shorter like we'll do man we we for the educational we do like thousands and thousands of tiny little books maybe every year like oh. you know maybe they're like i don't know you know 10 minutes long and it's a little thing about you know pets or something like that or it's about dog the planets or like whatever it is you know these little everywhere from from you know little bitty kids books to, to have like five words on a page or something mm -hmm. like that you know, up to these, you know, just south of middle grade, right? Like, like, like saying like, like elementary, right? Mm -hmm. Those kind of things, you know, t talking about what well, we just did a whole bunch of things for, you know, talking about early American history, Constitution and Ben Franklin and they know all these kind of things and they're a little, and so it's cool. We can hire somebody for an hour or two hours to like just read through a bunch of these books and then we can decide, oh, yeah, I don't know. 
you know, keep working with them. So mm-hmm. anyway, so it, it is a big commitment, right? And so it's very yeah. hard, you know, it's very hard to like have the trust to like, oh God, I'm going to hire this guy. I want to schedule. This guy blows it. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, and, I, I understand. And I'm, I know that um, that's one of the things that's difficult when you're starting a business is that people want to work with people that they know, like, and trust. And that trust thing typically takes time. So of course you look at what somebody has done in the past. You look with who they've, you look at who they've worked with and you can hopefully get an accurate feel but of course, yeah. some of that is marketing and people are trying to make themselves look good. And so it really is difficult to um, to have that trust when you're first starting out. So it's one of the difficulties of building a business because you really need that. Um, it is a difficulty. Uh, it is 100%. It's the whole barrier to entry, you know, that they say in business. But yeah. for narrators, one of the things, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm less and less involved in the day-to-day operations. But, you know, when I was like really casting for something and, 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 um, putting my name on the line. Right. Um, I would always audition them. Yeah. You know, they'd be like, yeah, yeah, I've done a few books. And if they haven't done a hundred books, then a hundred books for the big publishers. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you're good. But right. if they're kind of newish, I'll do an audition with them. I'll have to sit in with them for half an hour and mm-hmm. work with them. Right. And I, I'm not going to put my name on that, you know, going back to what I was talking about before, like, you know, deliver exactly what you say you're going to every time. Right. And that's, that's part of it. Like I want to make sure that if, if I'm saying that Rich Miller is going to do it, he damn well better do it because I just put my I just put my my word on the line there. Yeah. So uh, and so yeah. So that's always one of the ways I would do it, and that always that worked out really well. I've had to, I've never had to fire someone in that situation. I just told you after I had auditioned, I never had to do that. So yeah, no, I I could see how that would that would happen. Um, mm. So for new narrators out there, aside from you know the uh, the thing about you are always interested in new talent and you don't have to worry. I only get about a hundred thousand downloads per episode. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, uh, aside from that, uh, what, what words of advice do you have for, uh, for narrators out there aspiring and even people who've done quite a few books? Mm-hmm. Okay. So very, very first thing. So we're going to take a lot of things for granted. Okay. One of the things we're going to take for granted is that you're a good narrator. All right. All right. What does a good narrator mean? Well, you know, communicating text, right? Well, so, so we're not taking it for granted. I'm going to talk about it. Apparently I'm not going to, I can't stop myself. <laughs> so connecting with text, communicating the text, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, really, but when I say connecting with it, I'm talking about emotionally connecting with what you're doing. And, and I'm not just talking about like with, with, a, uh, you know, whatever with fiction, like the romance, you know, Oh, I love you so much or whatever, however you want to connect with it. I'm talking about connecting with like nonfiction, I can find to done well can be harder because you know, that to me is about enthusiasm. Like the way I'm talking to you, like now I'm going to get kind of, I'm going to get a little bit amped and I'm now I'm talking about art. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, and you'll hear it in my voice that I'm connected to this idea. This is, this is something I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whenever I hire somebody to do a, a, a narration for a, you know, a nonfiction, and especially with the ones, you know, the, you know, I say this because, um, we control the casting on the educational side. So that's one of our things is passion is, is when you're doing this, when you're talking about the planets or you're talking about whatever it is, sea life, are you really, do you sound interested? Do you sound engaged? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and one of the, one of the stories that I like to tell most is there's, there was an actor I was working with, you know, this person was young and um, I felt like, I felt like he had it. I felt like, he could do it, but then he kind of like all of a sudden he'd be drift and like go off and it would be just like boring. And I'd be okay, you know, and, and I was like directing and I'm like, 
you kidding me with this? And so finally I got frustrated. It actually was a woman. I didn't want to change the pronoun. And I finally said, you know, how is this boring thing working for your career? It was an awful thing for me to say, except the reason why I said it is because I needed to snap her out of it. Because it's like, you know, the words are already written. You reading the words is not a trick, Mm -hmm. right? You reading the words is barely useful, but you communicating the text. Now that's interesting to me. That's your job. You know, the words are done. You didn't do that. Don't read me the words and think you've done anything. I want you to communicate something to me, right? I mean, and you do hear the passion of what I'm saying, right? That's exactly oh, what yeah. I'm talking about. No, that, I, I know, do. Like, like if somebody, if I were to say, yeah, I really want you to do that. I really want you to connect with the text. You're not listening to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think it because I don't care. Because whenever, you know, it's human beings, one of our strongest desires besides, you know, the Maslow's pyramid and blah, 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 you know, food mm-hmm. and shelter and reproduction and all that sort of stuff is to connect with other people. And that's what this is about. This is about connecting, communicating stories, right? And if they're, if they're fiction, that's wonderful escapism, or maybe we can learn a lot about humanity in that and better fiction. If it's, if it's nonfiction, it's, 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 a, it's a subject that the, that the, the listener wants to listen to. Mm-hmm. They're interested in business. I listen to business books all the time. I love it. I'm interested in science, psychology. You know, when you, when you listen, you know, I'd recommend that narrators, when, you know, fiction or nonfiction, I don't care. Listen to like, um, or, or watch those documentaries on, you know, on, on, you know, I don't know if Discovery Channel even does them anymore, but whatever, these great documentaries. And when you listen to the scientists, these interviews, they'll get like so amped. They're talking about like, yeah, man. And so then I was looking through the telescope and they're like out of their minds. They're so yep. excited. And then I figured out that the thing was, is that that wasn't a quasar. It was like, a, I don't know, you know what I mean? And they're yep. just like, out of their minds yeah. and so often I hear you know I listen to business books like I said and sometimes I hear some things from some publishers and I'm like why did you hire this moron I mean why is that this nobody is caring about this nobody's passionate about that and that's what we do it's yeah. passion right words are done dude you know when I so when I'm talking to you dudes I use dude as both male and female right mm-hmm. yeah universal pronoun you know what do you bring to the table right yeah what do you bring to the table? And I've done exercises with actors where you just say, blah, 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 right? You can do that. And, but you see, or something was going on in there. You yeah. know, you can kind of even maybe tell what, you know what I mean? And so that's what our job is, is to communicate passion or caring or whatever is there, you know, and make it real, make the, make the listener lean in, you know, I know that there are a lot of narrators who would agree with how you started that about the fact that um, nonfiction can be can definitely be more difficult than fiction because you're put in a position of having to care about having to have passion about this thing that you might find really boring. And of course, that can happen in fiction, too. But um, but I think that it is more common in nonfiction where something isn't a passion of a narrator, whereas it might be for a different narrator, but for this one, well, I got this job and it's about astronomy and I don't give a shit about the planets mm-hmm. or whatever it is, right? But you know what, Can I, if I can jump in on that, yeah. if, if an actor that I was working with said that to me, I'm saying, like, I would be like, wait, seriously? There's something about this world that you're not actually interested in 
then I don't know if you're somebody I want to hang around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right? Yeah. I mean, uh, every, I, everything out fish keeping, right, is interesting. I mean, there's a, oh, you can find something in that. You've got to find the passion. You know, I call it personal responsibility. You're, you know, this person hired you to do this. They trusted you. Somebody really cares about this book. And somebody's going to put their hard-earned money at it. And you're not going to, and, and you're telling me you're not interested in it? What? You know what I mean? So that, yeah. I, to me, I have a real freaking problem with that. Well, that's, <laughs> I, that, that's good. Yeah. I, I actually like that. I hadn't thought of it that way before. I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, different people have different interests. And so they might come across a book that they're going to be narrating where it's really not an interest of theirs. And yeah. uh, to take it, okay, not about the natural world. Uh, somebody's written a book about, uh, I don't know, accounting. And, and mm -hmm. the narrator ends up being somebody who never did well in math. And so it's mm -hmm. one of those things where if it's not something that's a passion of yours, it, it is definitely more yeah. difficult to infuse that, but you really have to, because like I, you, I, like yeah, you said, I listen to an accounting book. <laughs> okay. I'm one it, of those guys. <laughs> yeah. And, and like you said, the, the author is putting their trust in you because they care about this and whoever it is that's shelling out their credit or their money or I did. You know, which yeah. ends up to money. Yeah. They're also I'm interested. I'm trying to acquire the information. And so right. this is another, this is another piece of, of, of it. So there's a the passion. But then there's also, this is a very, very fundamental thing that a lot of narrators I've heard don't get, drives me bonkers, is they don't explain things well, right? So by explaining things well, it's like, listen to what I'm doing now. It's about very carefully placed emphasis. Mm -hmm. It's not about emphasizing every word. It's about emphasizing the right words. Mm -hmm. So in that sentence I just did, if we were to go back and listen to that again, it's not about every word. It's about the right word. Every and right were the only two words I emphasized. Everything else was, was totally ran past because you get it. But you emphasize the thing that was different, the thing that you need to hang your hat on. Mm -hmm. If you emphasize everything, then nothing is emphasized, yep. right? And if you don't emphasize anything, then it just sounds like, you know, why don't I just, why don't I just let, you know, Alexa narrate me together? <laughs> right? We need yeah. to be thinking about that team, right? Absolutely, yeah. What do you bring to the table? Yeah. And so, um, you know, so that's, you know, you know, to really dig into it and to really explain it, you know, so if we're going to talk about accounting, you know, so, you know, so when we're talking about the P&L, the P&L is, you know, composed of, of, you know, of expenses, you know, minus, you know, minus you know, uh, revenue, right? And so it's expenses minus revenue. Now, why is P&L important? Well, here's why, you know, so we need to be, we need to explain it. Make sure I'm hearing that, right? And then, so even more fundamentally, here's I was listening to, and one of the things was accounting, but it was, I had a bunch of business stuff in it. And, it was, and so it was talking about this narrator. I was almost going to kill this guy. Um, I, I, might remember the, I might remember the book, and I'll, and I'll say the title of it if I remember the name of it. He, <laughs> he kept doing this thing where he, where he would emphasize completely the wrong word. So he would say like, well, this company sold for you know a million dollars. This other company sold for, for $2 million. Ah, uh, yeah. It's like, and then I have to stop. And I'm like, wait, is this, was the other one euros? How did yeah. I? Yeah, you're, you're comparing. And you compared the wrong goddamn thing. Yeah. You're yeah. supposed to compare, you know, 1 million and 2 million. Right, right. You don't even need to say million anymore. You just need to say it's one and two. <laughs> right. So, you know, so those are things you got to be, and that's what really can kind of, take a ton of horsepower. Like I know some of our, our educational narrators that we use, 
really only want to do about like two or four hour sessions with us because we make them work through it in that way. Mm-hmm. And if they're not really thinking about what they're doing, it doesn't work well. And if they're really thinking about what they're doing, their heads, the forehead's pretty hot when they walk out. <laughs> working a lot, right? And so it's, you know, so. Well, that's good. You, you've got a reputation. You've got to make sure that everything that you do is what the client needs. I'm not messing around, man. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, so that's the passion, right? But then, you know, we talked too about, you know, the professionalism. A lot of them miss that too. I, you know, if, if, if you're, if, you know, if, you're, if it's in your home studio and you tell me it's going to be delivered on Friday, by the way, that's not a good answer. Is it Friday at 9 a.m. or is it Friday at 5 a.m.? And on Friday at 9 a.m., have I gotten the book? Have I got the book from you? Mm-hmm. Right. I, you know, these kind of things like these, because that's my integrity on the line. Mm-hmm. I have told my publisher that I'm going to have it to them, you know, however many days after you get it to me. You don't get it to me, man. We got a huge problem. Right. You know, and there's been narrators that I've refused to work with because the publishers come to me and say, well, I want this narrator to do this. And I'm like, no, because the last few times there's been this problem and that problem and this problem. And I, you know, I love you and I'll do anything you want, but I don't want to put my name on that. And mm-hmm. sometimes I've gone and, some, and they've changed their mind. Once I remember they said, well, we've got to work with them. And I'm like, Dude, I just can't put my name on it. I just can't, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, just that professionalism, man, it's like, wow. And so many narrators don't do it. You know, if you're going to, if you're got a 10 o'clock session at my place, get here at night at nine 50, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. let's get ready to roll. Because my engineers are here at nine 30. They got signal passing through at nine 45. You know, if you get here, you'll start at 10 AM and mm-hmm. you look awesome. And it was just getting here 10 minutes earlier, man. And you look awesome. And those are the things people talk about too. Right. And then mm-hmm. you get in there and then you, like, I know these narrators, these guys I've worked with, for years and when i and when we send out you know the 1099s at the end of the year i look at the numbers and i'm like holy moly got a lot of money and it's because and you know they're great they're here yeah. all the time we're doing educational stuff for us for books and they knock it out of the park every time they try hard they're respectful they're on time and i just love them that's great uh that is all very good advice for uh, everybody out there who's narrating Thank you. All right, John. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in. I hope the Diet Coke was good. I'm not quite through with the uh, with the Ricky, and so I'm not sure that I'll need one later this afternoon. I might just <laughs> might just nurse this one for a while. Um, and and hopefully at some point next time I'm out in New York, we can uh, get together and actually have a martini and talk about martinis while we're doing it. That would be wonderful, and I'd love to give you a tour of the studio if you haven't seen it yet. No, I haven't. I, I would love that. Yeah, this year was, uh, APAC was even more of a whirlwind than usual for me because I, I didn't spend as much time as I have in the past couple of years in, in the city. But uh, yeah, definitely next time I'm out that way, I would, uh, I'd love to. Awesome. Awesome. That'd be great. You're welcome, Rich. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah, thanks a lot. So uh, where can people find you online if they want to look you up, if all those 100,000 listeners want to send you a demo or something? <laughs> go, to, go to johnmarshallmedia.com. We do everything through our website. We have a contact me page there. So you can definitely definitely contact us there. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, John. Really appreciate your time. Thank you too, Rich. I appreciate it. Take care. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to John Marshall Cheery for joining me. I was happy to hear all about John Marshall Media, and I think he had some great advice for all of us in this field. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. As always, you can find the audiobook Speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. 
And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! (laughs) 